God, we praise you and thank you for your sovereignty. Lord, we thank you and praise you that you are in control, that you are on your throne. Lord, we thank you and praise you that the events that happen in our world are not um, a surprise to you. They do not catch you off guard. Lord, we rest in your sovereign hand. God, we look to you, and even as we turn to your word now, God, I pray that, um, Lord, that you would make your word come alive in our hearts. Lord, I praise your word is living and active, that it would encourage us, or that it would even challenge us. Lord, we thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet, and God, we so need it to shine into our lives in the midst of a dark world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the reasons why I've been loving the book of Nehemiah is because of how realistic it is. That Nehemiah is a man who was called by God to go and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And as we looked in the first couple of chapters, it seemed like smooth sailing for Nehemiah. He even had the king of Persia fund this building project. But over the last couple of chapters, we've noticed uh, the opposition and the hardship that Nehemiah faced. And I just love how realistic that is, because even the events that we're living in right now with the coronavirus, it's just a reminder that opposition and difficulty is part of our life and part of the world in which we live in. And Nehemiah, though, sets a a real example of what it looks like to remain faithful to the Lord in the midst of opposition. Just a reminder for us about this rhythm that Nehemiah has been experiencing over the last couple of chapters. He's had both ups and downs as it relates to accomplishing this work that God has given him. He's had great moments of advancing in the building project, and he's also experienced some setback. And I love that because that really describes the Christian experience, that for us who are followers of Jesus, we have ups and we have downs. We have times and moments of great joy and delight in the Lord, and yet we've got other moments where we experience great opposition and challenge and even distractions as we follow Jesus. And yet Nehemiah shows us what it looks like to respond to opposition in a godly manner. As we noted a few weeks ago, some of the more popular forms of opposition that we face as followers of Jesus is that we have a spiritual enemy, Satan himself, who is tempting us away from doing God's work God's way. But we also experience opposition from the world around us, the culture that we live in who directly opposes the principles of God's word. We also experience opposition from our own flesh, or uh, we we have kind of a self-imposed opposition through uh, unwise or lazy decisions. And those are popular forms of opposition or or hardship that we experience as followers of Jesus. But what we're going to see in Nehemiah chapter 6 are forms of opposition and hardship that are sneakier. These are forms of, of difficulty that we need to be especially on guard against because they don't scream as loudly as those other things. And so as we move through Nehemiah chapter 6, I'm going to point out four different forms of opposition that he faces and that you and I face as we follow Jesus. Here's the first one. In the first four verses, we notice that Nehemiah uh, experiences distraction. So you notice in verse 1, it tells us that Nehemiah is just about finished with this enormous building project. All he needs to do is to install the doors. And so, of course, here comes Sambalat and Tobiah 
and Geshem, the unholy trinity. And they're sensing that the opportunity uh, is, is coming before them to try to stop this project. And so what they do in verse 2 is they come and they want to invite Nehemiah to meet with them in a place called Ono. Now, Ono is a neutral territory. In fact, some scholars uh, describe this as a luxurious place to reside. It was about seven miles just, uh, just outside of the city where Nehemiah was. And so this really wouldn't have been difficult for Nehemiah to travel to and to meet with them. And yet what we learn in verse 4 is that Nehemiah declines this invitation not once, not twice, not three times, but four different times he says no. And it's interesting because you wonder, why would he decline this opportunity? I mean, this is, a, this is an opportunity for diplomacy. This is an opportunity to maybe even win over some of his enemies. Maybe this is an opportunity for uh, Nehemiah to go and, and experience rest in Ono because of the harsh living conditions that he's been under trying to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. But the reason why he declines this invitation is because Nehemiah sees what, what exactly this is before him, that this is a distraction away from doing God's work God's way. That for Nehemiah, he sees the danger behind this distraction. And distractions can be dangerous. In fact, in the state of Indiana, there's likely a new bill that's going to be passed here shortly uh, involving distracted drivers. That you'll be uh, fined uh, potentially up to $500 if you're caught uh, driving with your cell phone or some sort of electronic device in your hand. But the motivation behind this new bill that's coming is because of safety. In fact, according to the Indiana Criminal Justice Institute, it reported that every year since 2015, there have been over 1,200 collisions on the Indiana roads where a cell phone or electronic device was a factor. This has resulted in over 40 different fatalities. In fact, Governor Holcomb has said in, uh, in relation to this bill, he said this in the Indy Star, that this bill is all about saving lives. That we know that a handheld device does three things. That one, it takes your brain off what you're supposed to be paying attention to. That two, it takes your hands off of what you're supposed to be holding on to. And three, it diverts your attention. That when your hands and your eyes and your brain are all doing something other than steering a car, bad things tend to happen. And I love what Governor Holcomb says here, that distractions divert our attention and bad things tend to happen. I think the same is true spiritually, that distractions can actually be dangerous in our walk with the Lord because what distractions do is they hijack our focus on what's most important and it puts it on what feels most urgent. And it doesn't even have to be bad or sinful things. I mean, even for Nehemiah here, it, it would not have been sinful for him to go to Ono. It just would not have been best. So I just want to pause here just for a moment. And I just want to ask you the question, what, what are some of the distractions that are in your life right now today that are trying to steal your focus upon the Lord and the work that God has given you to do? That perhaps you don't have individuals like Nehemiah did that are trying to physically harm you. 
But what are some other things in your life that you feel like are, are trying to hijack your focus away from God? Let me just suggest a, a couple of possible distractions that might be in your life. The first one is uh, potentially social media and technology. Now, I know you probably don't need more guilt on how much time you spend on social media on, on, or on technology, but it bears repeating that even though technology can be used for good, just like listening to the service here today, uh, it can also serve as one of the main forms of distraction in our following Jesus. In fact, John Piper has said that one of the great uses of Twitter and Facebook will be to prove at the last day that prayerlessness was not from a lack of time. You just have to wonder how much time we, we should devote to time in the Word and prayer or meaningful conversations or just being present with the people around us rather than being on social media or on some other technology. But it's not just the amount of time uh, that provides a danger as it relates to social media. It's also the emotional energy that we invest into it. We feel this perpetual temptation to find our identity, to find our worth in what other people think of us. Think about how many likes can we get or how many uh, people can retweet things that we post on social media. It's easy to even fall into kind of this comparison trap where we wonder how much we stack up against one another and it creates this never-ending cycle and it provides a distraction for us. So that's one example. But secondly, another, I think, a popular distraction in our lives is fear and anxiety. We think about uh, the reaction of, of so many as it relates to the coronavirus, of being filled with fear and anxiety. And those are natural feelings uh, to allow your heart to be filled with those things because of what's happening around our world. And when you think about fear, when you think about anxiety, when you have felt it and when I have felt it in my life, it's usually because we want things to go well. We want our future to go well. We want our health and what other people think of us and maybe something related to a job performance. We want those things to go well. And that's a good thing to desire things to go well in your life. But I think it tips over into a sinful fear and a sinful anxiety when we are unwilling to accept the lot that God has given us when we even begin to doubt God of why has God brought this into my life, we begin to maybe even doubt God's goodness or God being a trustworthy God. And so fear and anxiety can be uh, these powerful distractors in our relationship with God because they get us focused on ourselves rather on God and who he actually is. And the more that we focus on our problems, the bigger our fear and the bigger our anxiety grows within our hearts and the more that God actually shrinks within our hearts and our minds. There are many other kinds of distractions in our lives and in our lives uh, or in our hearts, these things that want to derail us from doing what God wants us to do. But the question I want us to consider is, what do we do with the distractions when they come into our lives? How do we respond in a godly way? Well, notice what Nehemiah does here in verse 3. It says, And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop 
while I leave it and come down to you. Notice the solution here that Nehemiah presents as it relates to distractions, that he is persistent in doing God's work. Notice his commitment. Notice the focus that Nehemiah demonstrates on the assignment that God has given him. I love even his perspective that what what he's doing, he's viewing as being significant. He calls it a great work. And that stuck out to me as I was studying this passage because of what we know about Nehemiah. And we remember that Nehemiah used to be the cupbearer to the king of Persia, the most powerful person in the whole world, that he had this very cushy job of eating some of the best foods and some of the best drinks, that he had a close relationship with King Artaxerxes, and he left all of that, traveled 800 miles, and now he has a job that's filled with rubble and debris, trying to lead a disunified people with opposition left and right. And yet he declares, I am doing a great work and cannot be distracted. I wonder today if you view the work that God has given you, the role that God has given you, this assignment from him, if you view it through that same lens that God has given you a great work to do and that you cannot be distracted. I wonder if that's how you view if, if, if your job right now is to stay home and, and be with the kids and maybe you're going to be doing that over the next couple of weeks. Do you view that as a great work from God that he wants you to do and are you removing the distractions and being faithful to that role. I wonder if you view your job this way, that as God has given you this job, this very specific job in the workplace, in order to influence others for Jesus, that this is a great work that God has given you to do and that you cannot be distracted. I wonder if you view your marriage this way or your friendships or your neighborhood, that you're doing a great work and that you cannot be distracted. You know, the significance of your work is directly tied to your perspective. That when you view this this job and this assignment that God has given you as an act of worship, it's going to create significance that will protect you from the distractions that are around you. That the point of our work's significance is not so much about what we do, but it's about who we're doing it for and how we're doing it. And that type of significance creates a persistence even when distractions come into our lives. And so Nehemiah experiences distractions, but it keeps him focused on what God has before him. Notice the the second thing here, the next difficult challenge for Nehemiah comes in verses 5 through 9 in the form of defamation that his enemies here are seeking to discredit him. If you notice in verse 5, Sam Ballot sends his servant with this open letter to be read by everybody in the public. And the aim of this letter is to really create doubt about the character of Nehemiah. That in this letter, there are rumors that Sam Ballot is trying to, to slander uh, Nehemiah so that the rest of the Jews no longer follow his leadership and that they give up on the task that's before him. This is a, a big deal for Nehemiah. This is a, a potential crisis. But notice how Nehemiah responds. In verse 8, he confronts his slander head on with the truth. 
And then look at verse nine here. He turns to the Lord in prayer and he asks God to strengthen his hands. Notice the solution uh, that Nehemiah presents before us that when you have people who are slandering you and when they're gossiping about you, trying to take you off God's work, doing it God's way, that we are to prayerfully entrust our character to the Lord. And I love that Nehemiah here is again turning to the Lord in prayer. We have seen him do this countless times over the first couple of chapters in Nehemiah. Whenever he experiences opposition or a potential crisis, he turns to God in prayer. Why is he praying? Why is he praying every time he experiences a potential crisis? Nehemiah prays, and this is so good for us, church, as we think about what's going on around our world with the coronavirus. Nehemiah prays because he believes that God is still sovereign, that God is still on the throne, that this potential crisis is not threatening one ounce of God's sovereign power and his authority. And Nehemiah's prayer here is expressing his trust in a God who will not be moved. That Nehemiah is, is expressing that God is the source of his strength. Think about it for a moment. Like if Nehemiah did not believe in God's sovereignty, did not believe that, that God was in control, why would he pray? He wouldn't turn to God. But Nehemiah trusts God and he believes in him. And that should be our response even in today's world that we entrust ourselves to the one who keeps us trusting. And the reason we do this is because of Psalm 33, which declares, for the word of the Lord holds true, and we can trust everything he does. The Lord's plans stand firm forever, and his intentions can never be shaken. That Nehemiah, in the midst of a potential crisis, does not choose fear, does not choose anxiety, does not choose to worry, but he chooses to pray because prayer allows him to look up at his God and be reminded at how big and how sovereign God actually is. See, fear and anxiety wants to, to lead us to focus and look down at our circumstances, but prayer has a way of, of reorienting our hearts and reminding us about who God actually is. So Nehemiah overcomes this difficulty by uh, prayerfully entrusting to the Lord his character. Notice the next form of challenge and difficulty that Nehemiah experiences in verses 10 through 14. This is the form of, of, of disobedience. In verses 10 through 14, this is an odd and, and kind of a, a tricky situation that Nehemiah finds himself in where he's actually invited into the house of a fellow Jew named Shemaiah. And Shemaiah, he actually proposes to Nehemiah that they need to go and hide out together in the temple, in the house of God, because there are people that are wanting to kill Nehemiah. But if you look at verses 11 through 13, we see that Nehemiah was perceptive enough to know that Shemaiah was a fraud. That Nehemiah, or that Shemaiah was, was trying to get Nehemiah to disobey God and go into the temple when the law clearly stated that he was not allowed to go in. This is what Nehemiah meant in the second half of verse 11, where it says, 
And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. If you notice here, Nehemiah understands what Shemaiah is trying to do here because Nehemiah knows the word of God. He knows 2 Chronicles 23 verse 6 states that he cannot go into the temple and live. And yet Shemaiah was trying to tempt him to disobey the Lord so that Nehemiah's character would be ruined and so that he would not find favor with the Lord. Like this is exactly how you and I need to respond when we are tempted to disobey the Lord. That the solution that Nehemiah provides for us is having this, this Bible-saturated perception that because we're anchored in the Word of God, we are able to not only discern the difference between right and wrong, but the Word of God actually makes us wise and perceptive in knowing how to apply God's word to a particular situation. This is exactly what Nehemiah is demonstrating before us, that he's using the word of God to govern his decisions. And when you and I are tempted with another way of living outside of, of God's word, we need to respond the same way by staying true to what God's word actually says. That in the darkness of our world, we need the light of God's word to shine before us and to provide the clarity that we need. Look, church, can I just encourage you, especially during this season that we find ourselves in, that with the coronavirus and, and what's happening with all the school cancellations and the different sporting events that have been canceled and uh, even the workplace has been changed up where they're encouraging people to work remotely or work from home, that you probably have more time on your hands than you've had in a very, very long time. And I just want to encourage you and even challenge you to use maybe the extra margin and maybe the extra free time that you have and to just throw yourself into God's word, to soak it up and to read it and to study it and to depend on it as you combat your own fears and your own anxieties that you're going to be tempted to use your free time in all kinds of other ways to, to look at social media or to throw yourself into the entertainment world or, or to just consume the news outlet. And I just want to encourage you and challenge you to spend that extra time with God and His Word, anchoring your life in it. Because we see Nehemiah respond to being tempted using the Word of God. Well, in verse 13 Nehemiah recognizes and perceives that Shemaiah was hired by Samballot, and he asked God in verse 14 to remember his enemies according to their evil deeds. But if you notice verse 15, this is an epic moment for Nehemiah and the people of God. If you look at it with me, it says, and so the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month Elul in 52 days. This is an epic moment because they finally did it. They finally accomplished the work that God gave them to do to rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And it's amazing to think about what God's people can actually do when they do God's work God's way. But it was not without hardship and difficulty. In fact, notice the fourth form of opposition that Nehemiah faces in verses 17 through 19 in the form of division. So far, we've seen that Nehemiah has faced 
opposition in the form of distraction, the form of defamation, the form of, of disobedience, being tempted to disobey. And now we see division even among God's people. We learn in verses 17 through 19 that there were a group of Jews, these nobles in Judah, who were sending letters to Nehemiah's enemy, Tobiah. Uh, they're expressing their loyalty to Tobiah over Nehemiah. And they have kind of the, the, these marriage ties with Tobiah. And they're sending him letters, and they're even speaking well of Tobiah in front of Nehemiah. And we see kind of a, a division that's happening within God's people. And at this point in the story, you, you almost have to wonder, like, what kept Nehemiah going? Like, what allowed him to stay true to this assignment that God had given him in the midst of the division among God's people and being tempted to disobey and having his name being slandered and, and all of these temptations to being distracted? What kept Nehemiah going? Well, I think what kept Nehemiah going was having this Godward perspective that God was doing a mighty work in and through his people that was going to impact the nations beyond the wall that they were actually building. Look at verse 16 with me where it declares, And when all our enemies heard of it, that the walls were built, all the nations around us were afraid and they fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. See, Nehemiah knew that this great work in building this wall was going to impact not just the people of God, but people beyond the wall in the surrounding nations as they look at what God's people accomplished, the world would conclude that only God could have done this kind of work. This was accomplished with the help of our God. Look, church, this is the kind of perspective that we want to have, that we want to be a people who have such a Godward perspective that we are doing things that people can conclude only God could have helped you accomplish that. And that's really the challenge for God's people throughout the ages is to do God's work God's way in such a way, in such a manner that the watching world concludes only God could have done that work. At church, we don't want to just do things where the watching world can conclude, oh yeah, you did that because of just mere human efforts. Now, we want the world to watch and see what's going on in and through our church and to conclude that, that only God could have done that. That we want the watching world to look at even individuals in our church and say, look, I know what that person was like before he or she was saved. Only God could have made them so loving. That we want the watching world to look at our church made up of, of hundreds of people, to look at even the diversity in our church with diversity in, in ethnicity, in age and life stage, at, at political positions and, and even socioeconomic positions. And for the watching world to look at the unity that we have and the love that we have with one another and to conclude only God could do that kind of work. Look, especially during this time, where we see the coronavirus leading so many to being fearful, to being filled with anxiety and worry, wondering what the future is going to look like, that we want to be 
the people of God who are responding to this crisis in such a way where the watching world looks at us and says, how can you respond that way? How can you respond by trusting in God? How can you be filled with with such peace that surpasses all understanding that we want the world to be curious about who our God actually is, that he is unshakable, that he is trustworthy, and that he is a firm foundation in the midst of this crisis. And the beautiful news is that we can respond to difficulty and to opposition and to the crisis that our world is facing right now, not just because Nehemiah responded so well, but because 2,500 years later, after Nehemiah, Jesus Christ came and he lived and he demonstrated all of this perfectly. That Jesus, even the midst of all kinds of temptation, did not sin. That Jesus, even in the wilderness, when he was tempted by Satan himself for 40 days, used the word of God to resist the temptation. That Jesus, even though he was abandoned by some of his closest friends, by the disciples, even betrayed by Judas himself, that did not cause him to give up on the work that the Father had given him to go to the cross, to die for the sins of the world so that you and I can be forgiven. And that all who trust in Jesus because of all that he's done can actually be filled with the Holy Spirit so that we can have power to do exactly what 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, and that is to be on guard, to stand firm in the faith, to be courageous, to be strong, and to do everything in love. That we take all that we've seen in Nehemiah chapter 6, and church, I just want to encourage you during this time to look to Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith, who is our firm and secure foundation, to look to God, who is our refuge and our strength. I hope you have a great week trusting in the Lord and looking to Him to be your source of strength. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much for the power of your word, or that we can look at events in Nehemiah that have happened thousands of years ago, and that there are principles that can help us remain faithful to you in the midst of, uh, of the difficulty that we're facing in our world today. God, we thank you that you are a faithful God. Lord, we thank you that you are trustworthy. Lord, we thank you that we can depend upon your promises. We thank you that you don't leave us or forsake us. And so God, we pray that you would help us to remain faithful. I pray, God, that you would help us as a church to respond to the events that are going on in our world in such a way that people around us wonder about who you are. Lord, help us to be a people who trust in you. And we'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.